Sick of sorrow Sick of the pain Sick of hearing Again and again That there's gonna be Peace on earth Forecast for Catholics Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Peace Fellowship Podcast Today, a very special interview that will make up the entirety of our show. Sister Helen Prejean was a name that few knew before the movie Dead Man Walking. It was based on her book, and when Susan Sarandon played her role, many came to be aware of her work with prisoners on death row. And now, some years later, she is synonymous with work against the death penalty. But we sat down and talked with her for her work not only against the legality of the death penalty, but her work to raise consciousness, asking her questions about the relationship of that issue of violence and the issue of war. She gave fascinating answers. So listen in and enjoy the interview with Sister Helen Prejean. fortunate to be joined here by Sister Helen Prejean. Thanks, Helen, for joining us. And uh, you've mentioned that you kind of have an Indiana connection um, to your conversion on behalf of the poor and peace. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. It happened at Terre Haute, Indiana. It happened in June 1980. And I had been struggling with the whole issue of social justice and its connection with the gospel of Jesus. Mm. And I heard a talk, and it was Maria Gustineo, a <laughs> Uh, sister of Notre Dame de Namur, and she transfixed me. She talked, she said, Jesus preached good news to the poor, and integral to the good news was that they'd be poor no longer. And I went, of course. What took me so long? Because of the community Jesus inaugurated. Because poverty, Gandhi used to say, poverty kills more people than bullets. Mm. And it's a quiet form mm -hmm. of violence. And, uh, so I woke up to the social gospel and have been following that trajectory ever since. Hmm. Great, great. And as you know, our work here at the Catholic Peace Fellowship is with conscientious objectors. So I want you to tell um, the story that's in Dead Man Walking um, about someone who became a sort of conscientious objector and came into your path. Yeah. Um, he's the only example in all the 20 years I've worked with the death penalty. This is the only guard or official who worked for the institution who quit his job wow. because he couldn't kill people. And his name is uh, Major Felton Cootie. It's written up in Dead Man Walking. Um, I was, I think, with the third person on death row I was accompanying and he uh, was a major, and so he was the supervisor on death row in Louisiana. So he says, I know all of them. He was there when they served him breakfast every morning. He was there 
And he said, don't get me wrong now. He said, I know they're crimes. Some are here for unbelievably terrible crimes. Uh, one had killed someone and set her body on fire. Unspeakable stuff. But then he got, as long as he was supervisor on death row, you know, you go in one morning and the cell that had a human being in it is empty. You know by deduction that they killed him. Uh, but he then got put on the, what's called the TAC team, tactical team, mm -hmm. or the strap down team. And uh, when he called me into his office, he said, look, I've been through this five times and I don't even strap him in. He said, my job is just to take a paper bag, a paper sack, after they're executed and just get their belongings, get their toothbrush and their clothes and their personal things to give to their family. And uh, he said, I, I come home after these executions and I can't sleep and I can't eat. And he said, I'm going to have to quit. And he said, I know it's all legal. And I know the Supreme Court's approved of it. I even know the polls in Louisiana that say at that time in the 80s, I think it was like 80% supporting yeah. it. But he said, when you're close to it like this and you see what it means, he said, in conscience, I can't do it anymore. And he's the only one I met who quit. He died not too long after oh. that of a heart attack. Oh. You know, yeah, as you've mentioned before too, because you know, I don't know, do you remember if he was a Catholic? Don't know that. Yeah, I don't think he was. Right. Yeah. Because some, it's interesting. Sometimes we find that um, of all the conscientious objectors, we we find that there's not as many Catholics as we would think. And you you've said something that I'd like you to talk a little bit about, and that is that among Catholics, support for the death penalty does seem to be going down. Perhaps in response to John Paul II. Talk a little. Do you, is that what you're finding? Oh, yeah. No, that. John Paul II, who in 1999 uh, in St. Louis, he'd been in the United States four other times, never mentioned the death penalty. This time, out front and center, saying no to the other pro-life issues, no to abortion, euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide. And he said, and no to the death penalty, which is cruel or the practice of torture, he recognized. Uh, and unnecessary because modern societies have a way to incapacitate dangerous people without killing them. And then he added something, and that was also part of my dialogue with him in the book, Death of Innocence, I talk about having the chance to have a direct dialogue yeah. with Pope John Paul. And I'd said, Your Holiness, the, the church only uphold the uh, dignity of the innocent. What about the dignity of the guilty? And when I'm walking with a man to execution, who's chained hands and feet and says to me, Sister, just pray God holds up my legs. He's been rendered defenseless. There is no dignity in this death. And the, the Pope intervened. You know, there was a lot of dialogue going on. Yeah. I was just part of it. But he directly intervened, and he changed the catechism, changed the criteria we'd used for 1,700 years, namely for grave or grievous crime. So he took out... You know, once you change that criteria right. and you say we have a way to keep ourselves safe without killing people, and then you say no matter how grave or grievous the crime, the governments can execute. In principle, you have eliminated right. the death penalty. Um, 
And the Pope added in St. Louis, after he said it, no to the death penalty because it's cruel and unnecessary, he added, even those among us who have done a terrible crime have a dignity that must not be taken from them. Well, when he did that in 99 and the catechism changed, up to then the bishops had not put much energy at all into the death penalty. It was all about the abortion issue. Well, in light of that, next thing you know, the bishops are coming out stronger. They're beginning to do teaching pastorals on the death penalty for the first time when they give their pro-life, you know, announcements of how the campaign's going. They're including the death penalty. They're urging people to work against the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And since that's begun, that happened, started happening in 99, it's dropped to little below 50% right? of support of Catholics. So they're leading moral wedge in the country. Right. And when you think one in every four people in the United States identifies themselves as Catholic, yeah. how many millions of people is that? What's one-fourth of 300 uh, well, million it's, dollars? It's well over 60 million. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And see, there's real movement. What you always look for is where's their movement. Right. And... Uh, so to change our minds on the death penalty and even to just see Catholics beginning to work against violence right. is becoming much more a movement now than we, than we had before. Yeah. Now let me ask you a tough question. You're a sister, good sister, so many years of pastoral um, experience. We have a lot of soldiers who listen to our podcast who come and talk to us. Given your experiences, how would you respond to someone who, like this guard, um, says, I'm just not able to sleep at night. I, I know it, this war in Iraq, for example, it's illegal. Even some chaplains are saying, well, the responsibility and the guilt will be on your commanders. Don't worry about killing. And one of them says there could be repercussions, even the possibility of time in the brig or in military prison. Um, how, could, how, how would you help them think through some of these things if they are struggling in conscience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well, first of all, you know, just to acknowledge that any step on their part is going to be costly. Mm -hmm. It's cheap grace and costly grace, mm -hmm. and so for them to take a step in this direction. Um, but here are some things that might bolster them and, and might help them. First of all, to recognize the goodness of their person. The fact that they're even in the armed services mean they were willing to risk their life for something they believe in. How many people right. have done that? In some ways, I've risked my life because when we've done long marches against the death penalty people, we would get threats and, and stuff. But so what is the caliber of their soul that they would be willing to risk their own life for a much bigger ideal? So already they are in uh, a fabric uh, of love that many people don't reach. And it's to affirm that, that that love that's in them that would enable them. I mean, Jesus said, there's no greater love than to give your life on behalf of others. And anybody in the armed services won't do this. So right away, I'm on my knees to them for that, really. It's, so you begin, you get on a journey, the path is made by walking, and then the high ideals that drove it, when you get into it, you begin to see, well, wait a minute, let me see the concrete effects of what is happening here mm -hmm. 
as we undertake something we began with high ideals, for democracy, for freedom, to liberate the Iraqi people or wherever they are. And then I begin to see what's happening, what the concrete effects are in real life. And this is the way God's Spirit talks to us. It is through what happens in real life, which we have to be willing to open our hearts to see, to see if the fruits of God's love are being borne out in what we set out to do. If innocent people are being killed, and then where the challenge might even get intensified is if any soldier listening to this has fought alongside and one of your buddies got killed right alongside you. People you know have given their lives. For you to have any kind of quibbles or to have any kind of conscience, there's a lot in you that say you can't even think about this. They gave their lives. You are not permitted even to question whether or not this war is what we ought to be about. You don't dare even ask the question. And it's the death of their buddy that can sometimes say to them, you can't think about this. The spirit of God in our heart says, you can think about everything. You're made for truth. You're made for love. And of what other buddies would you want to see giving their life for this. And once you come to a place of, I am not convinced any longer that what I set out to do with all the goodwill in the world is of God, that the effects I see are death, many, many collateral deaths of innocent people, and unleashing of something we can't control, then the truth sets us free. And to follow the truth is costly, but not to follow the truth is costly too. It's not like it's a one-sided risk. It's to keep it in our gut, to submerge it, to quell it, can can lead to a very deep depression. And it's not healthy. And so, so how could we offer love and support and prayer to the, the good, good people risking their lives, not just for us, but for the people of Iraq or wherever a war is being fought. Uh, Dorothy Day used to say all the time, as you know, that the good qualities that come into the military, the teamwork, mm -hmm. you're, you go under fire to rescue each other when they're, you never abandon with someone when they're in trouble, the discipline, the, all that goes mm -hmm. into being a, a, a disciplined, self-sacrificing mm -hmm. body that, that fights for peace we have to incorporate into the peace movement as yeah. well. Yeah, she was right. And Gandhi would say, would that the peace movement were as disciplined as the military. And, and some of the conscientious objectors we worked with have, have not seen themselves as ceasing to be soldiers, but rather soldiers with a different, different mission and Nate. different purpose. And the last question I want to ask you, um, and this kind of arises in a response to a, a recent book that was written by Dave Griffith, who's a friend of the Catholic Peace Fellowship, called A Good War is Hard to Find. He talks about the intersection between violence and our lives and faith. And recently, at the end of the year, uh, Saddam Hussein was hanged. And I want to read you the reaction written up in CNN of what the president said about that, and then just have you comment. This is, uh, as I said, from CNN. It said, President Bush was upset after watching the video of Saddam Hussein's execution, comparing it to how he felt after seeing the photographs of Iraqi prisoner abuse at Abu Ghraib, 
White House officials said Wednesday. Dark, grainy video, apparently recorded on a cell phone, was leaked to the media. Bush found the taunting of, Hus of Hussein as he stood on the gallows with the noose around his neck disturbing, and he had a similar reaction when he saw the photos of U.S. military personnel abusing naked and restrained prisoners at Abu Ghraib. So the president has had this personal reaction to violence, and yet we see you know, the war with violence on a massive scale. Any reflections on the issue of what it means to see violence versus do it and, and, and how that can help us think about these things? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, when St. John talks about witnessing to the gospel, what our eyes have seen and our hands have touched uh, and what our ears have heard that we proclaim to you, because of that coming out of that immediate experience, this is what I find so interesting. The White House also issued a statement about, well, Saddam Hussein got the death sentence. That was under law, so hey, it's legitimate. Uh, it's not like random killing or, or whatever because it's been legalized. Thomas Merton said that when the world ends, it will be legal. So when you legalize something and you put it under law, and that's like putting on a couple of pairs of gloves. You begin to mask the reality because you say, but it's a law. And they found him guilty in a court of law, just as we do with the death penalty. And here's what I find interesting. They're disturbed because people taunted, taunted Saddam Hussein when he's being hung. They're yelling things at him. They're, uh, the basic indignity is that they have tied his hands and feet and they are killing him. We try to mask death. We say it should be done properly. They have elaborate rules for witnesses of the death penalty here in the United States. Witnesses cannot cry out. Witnesses cannot speak. Witnesses, we want silence. And you know what it means? We want reverence. We want dignity. We don't want emotion. But to put a person in a cell for 15, 17, 20 years, and with their imagination going, they anticipate dying in their mind a thousand times before they die. We take them out, render defenseless, and kill them. That's what's the indignity. And all this stuff around the edges, they taunted him. That's the least. That's the least of it. Taunting him. The big taunt is to say, you are not a human being. You do not deserve to live. We're making ourselves the arbiters of death, and we are going to kill you. The hanging of the rope and the killing of the person, it's all the steps that lead up to it. So that's my response to that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and that's what we find with these conscientious objectors. It's when they've seen. what I like your quote from, from the letter of John, what they have seen with their eyes and touched. And folks who then say, I've been there. And it's not like, you know, oftentimes we think about war like pieces on a game board. But mm -hmm, they've actually yeah. seen it, right. touched it, smelled it. Right. And, that changes and with the death penalty, see, what uh, sometimes prosecutors of people who argue for the death penalty say, we're doing it for the victim's families. Mm -hmm. This is the only way to honor people who've lost their loved ones. This will get them justice. This will give them healing. This will give them closure. We'll give them the designated time. We'll summon them. They sit on the front row. Then watch as we kill the one who killed their loved one. That's supposed to right the wrong, heal the wound, Give them closure and healing, can it? And prolonging it and the waiting for it. Uh, and then they see the state kill in front of their eyes another human mm -hmm. being. As one of the victim's families put it, 
You come back and there's still the empty chair. That's mm -hmm. finally, spiritually, what we have to deal with. We can never get our child back. And no matter how much you multiply the killing of other people, there's no substitute for that. So victims who have seen and heard yeah. and felt are some of yeah. our best witnesses. And soldiers who have been there and have experienced the suffering and then who have the freedom of spirit to recognize Look, I gave my all to this. I risked my life for this. And then to stand in conscience, you know, which is the strongest thing we have because it's our own truth. And finally, to use as an argument, oh, well, I was obedient to my commander, or oh, it was the law, or oh, I was just doing my job. None of those things. Finally, in a moral stance, it's do I know what I'm doing to be of love? Or am I participating in something that is hate? Sister Helen Prejean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. God bless you and your great work. And hopefully we'll see you again in South Bend soon. Great. Thank you. Well, that's our show today. That's our interview with Sister Helen Prejean. If you'd like to know more about her work against the death penalty, you can go to the website, www.prejean.org. That's P-R-E-J-E-A-N. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Warcast for Catholics, and tune in next time. Until then, I'm Mike Griffin for the Catholic Peace Fellowship.